Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. The new NBA season gets underway October 22nd, and while all the attention will be on the games on TV, there's also many other different ways to engage with the league across other platforms, from social media to VR. And how the NBA innovates is the mandate for my next guest, Jeff Marsilio, Senior VP of New Media to the League. Thanks for coming in, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I think when you take that, this is two of my favorite things we're going to be talking about, <laughs> both the NBA and media innovation. There's no way I'm not going to enjoy this conversation. I hope so. I'm actually curious to start with what the league thinks of what you do. Is this something that it's sort of like, okay, these are little experimental one-offs, let's hope everything works okay, or is it, no, this is crucial to the future? Well, maybe let me start with describing what I'm responsible for. Um, I, I lead the New Media Group, as you said, which is responsible for the digital licensing business of the NBA. And it's pretty wide-ranging. It includes, as you said, it includes social media, it includes um, making highlights available, but it also includes making games available um, in, in the digital space, and it includes more emerging technology. So it's not just about innovation. Innovation is a, a huge part of it, especially because it's a space that's constantly innovating, and we've got to keep up with it. But it's also a pretty big business for us. So um, it's look, looked at as a whole, I think today it's, it's big business. Relative to more traditional linear media, it's not, it's not maybe that big, but it's, it's really rapidly growing, one of our fastest growing areas. And we recognize, given that growth, given the trajectory, that it's going to be really, really important for the future. So the innovation that we are doing in this space is really important for the long-term health of the league. And you are also innovating on the air. I mean, one of the things that I think was been done that was so interesting, a number of different ways uh, in this past season, was the typical broadcast experience. You know, you've got your play-by-play -play yeah. and your color guy, right. and uh, you really shook that up a little. Uh, was that something that was a big priority? It's it's a continuing really big priority, and one that has. Um, come from an insight, I think, that came from Adam, and that is that Adam Silver, over, the Adam commissioner Silver, sorry, of the, that's okay. <laughs> Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. And, you know, we, we've had um, the relatively s uh, similar broadcast for decades. Uh, you know, sure, of course, when uh, TVs went to color, we went to color, and when they went to high definition, we went to, we went to high definition. But the, the broadcast, the shape of the broadcast, the format, has stayed relatively consistent throughout that period, even while the technology around it and the fan behavior around it has rapidly evolved. So we began taking a fresh look at the presentation of the game and realized that there's, still, there's a lot that we could do. Uh, now, we want to maintain some sense of that familiar uh, broadcast, uh, but we think we can also introduce some, some new ideas that Such make as, it more... Like, give me an example of one of the things you did this past season. Well, you know, what, one of the areas that we've been focused on innovating is the, is the, the audio, the commentary. And, you know, I... I um, I think if you've watched NBA games, you've got this incredible commentary of these experts who are providing play-by-play -play and color throughout every single game, 1,200 games a season. But, um, you know, not everybody wants to engage with the game the same way. You might be, for example, a really deep uh, fantasy player or, or uh, somebody who's really interested in analytics. Watching the typical broadcast, you won't get a real deep analysis uh, from that point of view. 
So um, those kinds of things we've begun to experiment with, providing uh, alternative audio um, from a variety of different perspectives. And I would imagine part of that is you want to bring in new voices that bring in new viewers or younger viewers. Isn't that really the challenge across all the platforms you're working on? It's about how does a new generation of NBA fan who didn't necessarily grow up on TV stay engaged with the product? That's a big part of it. Um, You know, one of the things I think the, the fan base has come to expect is choice. Um, you know, because they have so much choice in their entertainment. Um, they have so many different platforms to choose from, which have many different competitive advantages among them. So they come to expect choice, and I think it's a mistake to not provide that kind of choice. So choice, whether it's in uh, the presentation of the game, the audio broadcast, and other things like that, as we talked about, or in the ways that they can, the, the, the places they can watch it, whether they can watch it on their phone, or they can watch it on their connected device, or they can watch it on linear television, and in the, the, the ways they transact with us. Are they uh, a cable subscriber? Great. If they're not, then maybe they want to subscribe to something like League Pass. And then within League Pass, we've innovated um, in, 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 in choice around transacting with us as well. So you've got uh, now the ability to purchase a single game, and you've got the ability to purchase the game by quarters. So choice has become a, a, a really important theme. And uh, it is for the purpose of reaching more fans and giving fans more options so that um, they have fewer reasons not to watch the game. And we should explain League Pass is this digital get-every-game-you-possibly-could-want-every-day-of-the-season <laughs> feature that uh, has always been a little rich for my blood. But when uh-huh. you start talking about this flexible pricing, which right. you just started with last year, yeah. what has been the results of that early experimentation? Well, you know... Last year, we introduced a whole new uh, layer of choice, as you just said, and and especially those quarterly options. But we've been experimenting with choice throughout the history of League Pass, and and it began with uh, that kind of all-you-can-eat, full, complete, comprehensive option. But then we introduced things like um, a team option, so you could choose to just follow your team. I should say that in the United States, uh, the local games are blacked out. Those aren't available uh, to watch. If you're, if you're in L.A., you're not going to get um, Clip, Clippers games uh, it, within League Pass. You can watch them on your, on your local RSN. But, um, but we've, over time, we found that providing more option was really only additive. There, there's always a question you have to ask, sort of a strategic question. If we provide this optionality, are people gonna, fewer people going to subscribe to the big package and just start you know, uh, uh, purchasing quarters? And it doesn't end up being that that's the case. That surprises me. Yeah, does it really? Um, It it doesn't surprise me because it it has a totally different value proposition. And, um, you know, the the smaller packages like a quarter or or an individual game end up serving as great sampling opportunities. Uh, So, you know, somebody who might um, just purchase a single game ends up being a great candidate for us to market the full package. So... So optionality ends up being additive. Um, we have to, I think we have to ask ourselves that question and look at that data every time. But so far, so good on that front. It's been, it's been additive for us. 
And, and another thing that I think there's been some experimentation on, I forget if it was within League Pass or not, is different camera angles and allowing viewers to control that. Yeah. Um, are we going to see more of that in this coming season? Well, you know, one of the, I think, just to kind of provide a specific example that I thought was really cool that goes kind of even beyond just alternate camera angles with Summer League this year, which is a... Um, a uh, tournament that we that is based in Los Angeles, where you mean um, Las Vegas? Excuse me, Las, Las Vegas. I'm in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas, where uh, some of the the newer younger players uh, compete, and uh, we do a lot of experimentation around summer league. And um, together with our partner Turner Sports, we um, shot a, a whole game live using phones and and uh, 5G. Hmm. Um, so it was, and it was a really cool perspective. It was not only was it alternate camera angles, but because of the nature of you know shooting and, and watching on a, on a phone, it, it just kind of felt like this guerrilla broadcast. Um, so we've been experimenting a lot with alternate uh, camera angles and, and alternate ways to provide uh, that sense of access and immersion around the game. I think that's going to continue. That I know that that will absolutely continue throughout throughout the season. Um, nothing specific to announce, but we're still in exploration and experimentation mode. Uh, but with, with our direct-to-consumer products, you'll absolutely see more uh, around the alternate audio and more around providing interactive uh, features like graphical overlays. And we'll do, continue to experiment with things like uh, alternate camera angles, like, like you said. And there's a part of me that loves to experiment that stuff. There's also a part of me that I think I speak for a lot of people that are kind of lazy and just <laughs> want to have the whole thing presented as opposed to making me sort of the guy in the, in the booth. I don't think, yeah, I think in most cases it's great to have the optionality uh, for, for those kind of super-duper fans who are not lazy and who want to engage and, and almost provide their own production of a, of, a, of a live game. But most people are like you and like me, want to lean back and have that kind of experience. So um, – I think the, the foundational experience has to be this wonderfully produced, delivered uh, kind of experience. And that's, that's what we'll be focusing on. Optionality happens and interactivity happens around, around that. And it, it may be that one person wants to interact with stats, and we'll try to have that feature. And then somebody else wants to interact with getting more of those, um, those different kinds of camera angles. And maybe that just having those options for different people, bring them in, and they interact with the game in different ways. Well, one of the things that and then over time, by the way, uh, as we learn more about our fans and the way they engage with it, it might be possible to provide these more custom experiences on an automated basis. That's still a little ways out, but it could mm -hmm. be a more personalized broadcast based on your preferences as we learn about you. But one of the interesting uh, balancing acts that we have to perform is between this idea of customization and, and pers personalization that we're talking about. And feeling like what, what is so important to, to, to fans is feeling like you have a shared experience, like we're watching the same game. Uh, you know, it's one of the, the things I think that makes sports so different is that um, whether you're watching it in the same room together or whether you're uh, chatting with your friends on Twitter or whether you're just talking about it the next day uh, around the, the water cooler, there's a kind of network effect to the fact that we're all fans together. We enjoy the game more because we know people who are also enjoying the game. And you can't disrupt that. You have to be careful not to create an experience that's so personalized that when you get, when you get to the water cooler, you're talking about two different experiences. You still want it to be, uh, at, its, at its foundation, a very social experience. It's interesting to think about that sort of collective experience, thinking back to 
trying NBA virtual reality, which yeah. you would think virtual reality, oh, you put the helmet on, it's isolating. <laughs> but the interesting thing about the applications that I tried was, in some instances, you could communicate with fellow VR watchers down to the point where it was rendered as avatars watching the game together. I, I, first of all, I, first of all, I love that you are super fan enough to have seen all these different kinds of broadcasts. I, and like seasons. I said, love this NBA is great. and this I love innovation. Um, th- this is one of my favorites. What you're what you're describing. It's uh, and we'll do it again this season. On uh, we produce games in virtual reality every week with next a company called NextVR. We also together with Turner produce games with Intel uh, in virtual reality, and um, they each bring a kind of a different experience to the table. Very immersive. And conveying that that what's happening inside the arena is one of the other pillars of innovation for us. You know, the 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 NBA experience is an immersive one, right? Before there was ever an immersive uh, uh, media company, we were creating immersive media experiences in arena for those who could who could get to arenas, but. You've got fans all over the world for the, with the NBA. Um, we broadcast in over 200 countries uh, who may never have the opportunity for logistical reasons to, to go experience that unadulterated in-arena experience. So virtual reality has, I think, tremendous promise to deliver more of that sensory information. But the more traditional, to even call it traditional in VR is funny, but the more traditional VR broadcasts have felt more isolating. So we brought the NextVR produced immersive experience to uh, something called Oculus Venues. Oculus is one of the preeminent VR um, yeah. companies in the space owned by, owned by Facebook. And with Venues, as you said, you, you get to sit in a, in a virtual arena uh, surrounded by avatars. And it'll um, using the, the Facebook social graph, it'll sit you near your friends if they're watching it. Uh, at the same time, and you can move around, and you can you know move between seats, and you can look at each other, and you can talk to each other, and you can gesticulate, and um, you don't. It doesn't look like you're sitting next to your friend, but emotionally, it feels like you're sitting next to your friend. I think that's the important thing. So now we get to have the immersive experience of being in arena. We're not 100% of the way there. I don't even know. We're 60% of the way there, but we're making great progress on that. And have that social experience of being in the arena with your friends. So um, the early days, I think, but it's a really compelling experience today, and people are more and more people are trying it and enjoying it. And I think uh, the future of the NBA broadcast will include something like this. That's how so. I mean, when you say meaning back on the traditional TV version that it will have something like that or that VR becomes the traditional. I, I don't I don't know that VR becomes the traditional uh, or the traditional um, way to view, but I think it'll be a really important way to view in the future. I, I will make this prediction, which is in the <laughs> long term, I, yeah. I definitely could see a time when when VR displaces TV as the way to experience sports because another big takeaway for me watching the NBA on VR was even though the resolution is when I was watching on Oculus it's yeah. not good it's not going to be there for a while not when you're used to watching HD on a exactly. 60-inch screen yeah nevertheless the angles and the three-dimensionality of it it blew my mind yeah and it's why I will I'm not going to watch I mean not every game is available in VR but from time to time, I do make a point of watching it just because 
even though it's not quite achieved its potential, it's far along enough where I'm kind of captivated. I, I look, I completely agree, and I'm a I'm a huge believer and a huge fan of immersive media. I only hesitate to say that it will be the traditional way to watch because I, I think that that optionality we were talking about earlier is going to be even more important in the future, and it may be that. Uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily immerse yourself. Even if you can access your phone in VR or your or your apps in VR, even if you can access your friends, it may be that you just don't want to put a whole headset on wherever you are. You might be, uh, you know, you might be in your living room with your family and you want to just put it on a big screen. You may you might be walking around and want to have it on your mobile phone. I think in the future um, the broadcast will be incredibly flexible, and uh, you'll just have a variety of ways to watch it, from totally immersed to much less immersed but very mobile. Hmm. Well, then there's a, we've talked about VR, then there's AR or mixed reality. Or spatial computing. (laughs) (laughs) One at a time, my God. Well, I was very curious, uh, I think it was about a year ago when NBA started talking about Magic Leap and the partnership there. I've not tried that. Okay. What can we expect from that? How far along is that even? Yeah. Well, the technology that Magic Leap has is incredible, um, and I recommend you, you give it a shot. But uh, for those who haven't tried it, you put a headset on. It's, it's, it's lighter and less uh, intrusive than a full VR headset. And you still see the real world outside of the glasses. It's like putting on a, a pair of goggles. Um, but it, it, uh, using some pretty, pretty advanced technology allows you to see digital information, digital assets in the real world that aren't really there. Uh, so what it means for basketball is that is, is, is a lot of things. Um, I think look at the, the the ultimate version of that is something like virtual reality, where part of the room that you're in is replaced with an immersive experience of watching the game. It might be that um, the 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 living room wall across from the couch disappears and is replaced with courtside uh, at the garden. Um, the, another. A little bit further, a uh, little bit you know, far out version um, is the tabletop experience of watching the game. So imagine uh, you're sitting on that couch in your living room, and on top of your coffee table is uh, a, a kind of a miniature arena that you're looking into, like you're a giant floating, <laughs> floating above it. Like it's a hologram. Like a hologram, exactly. Right. Like you like you see in Star Wars. And this is possible not only with the kind of technology that Magic Leap is creating, but with a capture technology called volumetric capture. Uh, This is where there's a variety of ways to do it, but basically there are camera sensors positioned around the arena, and they capture the volume of the arena. They they calculate where each pixel is in three-dimensional space, and and they capture the volume of the arena so that you can move a, a... imagine a virtual camera or a virtual perspective anywhere in that volume and watch from anywhere. That means you could, using VR, you could attach a virtual camera to your favorite player's eyes. You said you're a Clippers fan, right? So imagine watching the game play out from Kawhi's point of view. Um, Or you can do as I said, and you can move back and you can watch it like a hologram on on a table. The, as advanced and, and sci-fi as this technology sounds, uh, it's actually something that we're already experimenting with. Intel has a version of this technology that is designed specifically for arenas that we've begun installing in, in some of the NBA arenas. And we can try, we can do this experience, what we're talking about, on a non-live basis, uh, not yet at the super high definition resolution that we would need, but it, we can see the path toward when this is live and when this is HD. So that's kind of where mixed reality, spatial reality, spatial computing, uh, things like Magic Leap, I think, end up going. 
but in the meantime, it's, it, there, there's a lot of really cool things you can do with it. Well, with our current app, uh, you can put virtual screens as big as you want on any of the walls in your room, multiple screens if you like, and watch the game or highlights um, play out there with three-dimensional uh, stats visualizations jumping out at you. And one of the cool things that we've we've played with is a, a sort of a CG representation of a player on the coffee table. Uh, and in this case, last season, it was it was LeBron uh, just running down the court and, and dunking the ball. Uh, but it was like this is what this is what the future of highlights might look like. They'll be spatial, and you'll be able to look around them um, as though they were a hologram in, in the room with you. And how cool would it be if it would also be life size? Because I think that could be something where. To have the ability to not just see them in three dimensions, but to see them at their actual height. Is that something that's even <laughs> contemplated? It just kind of occurred to me now. It's like, well, maybe why not? In the no, future? it's a great it's a great use case, especially because uh, our players are so physically imposing and impressive. And it turns out it's actually no more difficult to do it large than it is to do it small. Um, you don't with the field of view of the current systems, you wouldn't be able to take the full player in from a close distance. Uh, you'd have to kind of start at his, at his, at his feet and, and, and go up and look toward the ceiling to see his head. Um, but uh, that field of view is something that's going to improve as well. And if you step back and you wanted to see a, a life-size player a little bit across the room that, that fit in the field of view, you could absolutely do that. And it's no more difficult than, than capturing them at a, at a smaller scale. Hmm. Well, a, a nearer-term AR application, I had the pleasure, uh, because I'm a Clipper fan, of witnessing <laughs> this past season. I don't know if you saw the Clippers Court Vision application. Yeah, sure, with, with, uh, with a company called Second Spectrum. Yeah, Right. I, I mean, just to give people an idea, that's where you're watching the usual game, perhaps on your phone, and there's an AR layer of graphics and stats that are pretty seamless, pretty real time in terms of uh, data coming in yeah is that something we're going to see more of around the league yeah so that's uh, that's something that the clippers did in partnership with a, a company called second spectrum and, and they are one of the um stats providers uh, or information gatherers uh for the league and they use um technology that tracks the players on the court and there are lots of different ways that you can use it. Um, we use it in some ways to um, to understand uh, player performance and things like that. But it can be used for consumer purposes too, uh, at, like like the one that you described. It's uh, I think it's really really neat. I think it's especially cool um, for VOD just to, to understand a play in a different way to re, to rewatch a play and see, for example. Um, one of the one of the use cases that they have is it shows the per, the percentage likelihood of any given player from any given part of the court to make a basket right. when they have the ball, and uh, it's just a neat kind of like because you understand the decisions that the players make as they're making them from a different point of view. You understand because they're making I think some of those calculations in their head. Uh, am I am I uh, likely to hit the, the the shot from this point of view defended by this player? Um, so you can kind of make those you can see that in in real time with these overlays. And uh, so, absolutely, we're going to continue to experiment with graphical overlays. We'll see a lot more of that this season. It's one of the neat things, too, I think, about the way we're structured as a league, that our, our teams can be laboratories for experimentation, like the Clippers, who've been really experimental in this area. And uh, if something works, we can then take that and try to apply it across the league. It's uh, just an example of innovation working from, from teams 
back to the league. Is on the flip side though, is there ever tension there where you know a team can sort of take ownership of something in a way that the league can't, or they do their own thing? You know, I can't think of an example where um, a team took ownership of something and, and, and it prevented us from doing anything uh, that we wanted to do. Um, so I think it's usually something that's uh, positive. There are, you know, some some limits on what the teams can do um, relative to what the league can do, but uh, they're pretty well delineated, and so it doesn't it doesn't result in too much tension that often. What what I find is the most sort of team centric experience across all the different platforms that we're talking about is social media. I mean, it's so interesting to me following a number of teams on social media, how they all have this very (laughs) built out video rich 365 um, experience. Yeah. Um, Does the NBA itself feel like it has its own social identity Mm -hmm. or is it really about the teams and the players doing their own thing? You know, one of the unique things about a sports league uh, it w- within as compared to other entertainment is the extent to which it's an ecosystem that is bigger than any one company including bigger than the NBA itself as a company um, it goes to the 30 teams but it goes to the you know 400 plus players it goes to our many dozens of partners around the world and uh, many hundreds of companies that create and innovate content around NBA that we don't necessarily have a direct contractual relationship and then beyond that to the thousands and millions of fans who are creating and sharing content around the world um, by and large, that makes us a much more, I think, robust business and a more and a more valuable uh, ecosystem for any one of us to be a part of. So it's generally it's great, but we have to um, understand where we can fit into that because we're not only are we competing with other entertainment, but in a sense we're competing with other companies who are creating NBA basketball content just like we are. It's important, therefore, to have an identity. And uh, I think we've been successful in defining in defining what that is. I think we're still honing that to some extent, but we've been very successful on social media. The NBA um, official accounts that, that we control are some of the top accounts on, on every social platform. Um, and our, our teams and players have been, our players, for example, are some of the top individual accounts, and our teams are some of the top uh, accounts as well. So it hasn't, because their success has not prevented us from being successful. I think in many ways it's contributed, we've all contributed to each other's success by, by creating a, a bigger ecosystem. But thinking about our identity in the social space, it's like any business, you think about it in terms of competitive advantage. What are the things that we can do better than others can do? Um, immediately you go to uh, that we are the official. We have the official voice. And in some, in some contexts, it's really important and really valuable. In, in, in gambling, for example, having the official stats is in, extremely valuable. We're also probably the most comprehensive because we have, we're the only ones who have the vault that has all NBA content uh, within it. And I think maybe most importantly, and one that we leverage a lot in, in the social sp- space is that we can be the most real time and have the most access. So, um, you know, we're, we're all over the building when it comes to a, a live game in arena and we can make our fans who follow us on social media feel like they have an all access credential. 
So that, that becomes that kind of real-time access, um, and those other things become the kind of uh, uh, foundation of our identity on social, and it's worked out really well for us. And, and also in terms of how you as the NBA relate to social, it does seem, in contrast to some other leagues we won't mention that may have been a little too <laughs> controlling, that you guys have just sort of let the play, let fans, players, who, whoever, mm-hmm. have free reign with video out there, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's gifts or whatnot. You know, a year or two into that, has that worked? Has there been pitfalls uh, by giving perhaps too much freedom? Well, it's a, it's a conscientious decision and one that we made really from the beginning of social media. So it goes back, I think we've embraced it uh, more fully even and, and gone beyond permitting and actually gone to uh, empowering fans to create content. But from the beginning of social of our presence on social media, we made a decision. This is a decision that, that Adam made in his role at the time as head of NBA Entertainment to embrace uh, fans creating content. I mean, the, you know, from his point of view is why would we prevent people from creating uh, free, free marketing content, right? Um, you know, and if it's something, if they can create content that becomes a substitute for something that we could do, then we need to be looking for other things that we could do that others can't substitute. Um, but I think it goes even even more fundamentally to this idea of, of an ecosystem where uh, the more participants in an ecosystem, it's really, it's like network theory, right? Every additional node that you have in the network and the stronger the connections between the nodes, the more valuable the node is for every participant in that network. So we're like a social network in that way. And um, you know, as long as we can figure out ways to contribute value that's unique and extract value at the same time, then having a bigger, more robust, more valuable network by having by allowing fans and others to participate directly by creating content is, is just a win-win for everybody. Speaking of social networks, I'm curious about the league's relationship with the Facebook Snapchats of the world. I, I would imagine a TikTok deal must be in the offing. <laughs> we've, we've got one already. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, but, you know, there's always been somewhat of a tension there in terms of, of leverage, um, a tension there in terms of how am I making money? I know the platforms are. Uh-huh. Do you guys have some sort of overall philosophy as you choose you know, how you might participate, say, in, you know, video for Facebook Watch or perhaps their, their new subscription video platform. I, you know, I wouldn't describe it as attention. And I would say that because we've been early with the social media platforms and early, um, and we continue to be early. So when, when musically, when TikTok was musically and that was new, we were, you know, we were there and we were, I think, the number one brand there. I think we maybe still, still are the number one brand. Um, because we were early and because we evolved our presence on social media together with the evolution of the social media companies, I think we've got really great, strong relationships. And we've seen that they are, um, look, they, it's, it's in their interest to figure out how all of this makes money for them. Uh, in the meantime, it's great for our fans. It's great for the reasons we talked about in creating a more valuable ecosystem. And it's great for marketing. And um, we, it seems like every year they're figuring out better and better ways to make that, turn that, <laughs> that value into monetary value that we can participate in. So, you know, I think by being early and being uh, 
close partners with them, we've been able to take that journey with them. And I think we're all confident that we're trying to get to the same place, which is just great experiences for their users and our fans and ways to turn that into uh, business opportunities for us. Well, speaking of business opportunities, one last question. What may be the biggest opportunity of all, you mentioned earlier, gambling. Uh, mm-hmm. Sports legalization, legalization of gambling is slowly starting to become, I think maybe in a dozen or so states now, legal. I see this as a tsunami that is eventually going to hit 50 states and uh, I think is already somewhat active internationally. Uh that's got to be a game changer for the NBA digital strategy, uh, I would imagine. Well, look, I, I think it's um, it's hard to predict the timing of it, and and it may roll out slowly enough where it's it's really big before we realize that it's really big because we're we're in a pot of boiling water, right? <laughs> um, but uh, it, it certainly um, could be really impactful for um, the way people engage with our content on, on digital and the way that people watch our live games. So it's something that we watch really closely. I think it's actually a really good example of what I think of as kind of twin pillars of, of, of Adam's focus as he's led the NBA over the last, uh, last uh, six years or so, five, five or six years. And, that, and those are innovation, which we're, where we started with this conversation, and integrity, which is making sure that um, we are shepherding, responsibly shepherding the, the sport and that everybody feels like there's uh, transparency around the rules and that the competition is fair. That's just been a really, really strong theme throughout his, his tenure as commissioner. And th- these, both of these issues come up in this space with, with, with gambling. And I think that's the balance that we've been trying to strike. We want to uh, embrace innovation in this space, but we also want to make sure that at all times we've, uh, protected, we've protected the integrity of the game. That's probably going to be our role. Our role, our, if we're going to have a direct role in this, as this rolls out, is to be the, the shepherds of the integrity of it um, as innovation takes place. But I think that the benefits that we end up seeing is there, there's just going to be more reasons for people to watch games, more ways and uh, for them to engage with our content. Well, it'll be just one of the many fronts I'll be watching as the new <laughs> season unfolds. Looking forward to all the experimentation you're doing, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for being a fan. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 